show your your medal or whatever and talk about your time that you hit and what your goal was to your friends and stuff like that. And those things are great. It's okay to like share things with people and celebrate that. But we can also lose sight of kind of who we're doing it for, right? And I think that's where some of that struggle comes into play is that it's not my thing anymore. It's like I'm doing it for somebody else kind of in a way, whether that's literally somebody else or like metaphorically kind of somebody else in the sense of like, and the reality is most people aren't actually probably looking at it that much, right? We tend to overestimate how much we think other people care about our performance. Hello everyone, this is Vikas and you are listening to Run With Fitpage. This is episode number 112, that is 112. And in today's conversation, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Brian Zuleko. Dr. Brian Zuleko comes from a strong experience of kinesiology, exercise science, and sports psychology. We are talking about the latter. We are talking about sports psychology. We are talking about the mindset of an athlete and what it takes for someone to perform at the very top level. What it takes for you to be a better version of yourself in performing. I think everything is about mindset, right? It is not what you train with. It is not how much you train, but it is about how do you look at your training, isn't it? One person can be happy with the same training and another can be slightly satisfied and a lot more dissatisfied if they could not complete even 5% of overall that was given. But if you look at it positively, 95% was completed by you. And so that could be a way that you are celebrating it. Today, we'll be discussing mindset, specifically how it plays a role in you being a better version of yourself. I most of the times struggle with this issue every morning. Why do I need to get out and run? Why do I need to go work? And at times, the issue is possibly very trivial. How do we train ourselves and our minds that we see issues not as issues, but rather as different perspectives, as different avenues through which we can come up with solutions or rather look at seeking help from people to understand more about it. You will see something that becomes an issue today, a few years down the line, it is almost like an experience. When you think of it, you start to think and wonder, hey, was this a problem big enough that you were wondering, you were worried about it a few years ago? No, right? So here the perspective was time. Time, tenure, duration was a perspective. Similarly, there are many other things that come your way and you can learn from it. We will understand from Dr. Juliger more about it and how you can be a better version of yourself in daily lives and while performing. Let's welcome Dr. Juliger to the show. Brian, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm uh, excited to, to chat. Likewise, um, today's conversation is a component that's, uh, that's quite important in performing uh, or being successful uh, in general in life. And, uh, and that is why I thought having you on and uh, talking about the mental performance, the um, possibly unraveling of what is it uh, that people at times struggle with. At times, they have no idea if it is important or not, and they accept the way situations are. So we could try and get into those in detail. But before that, possibly let's uh, start with what we always start with, that is by introducing yourself to the listeners as to where you're joining us from and what do you do for a living. Yeah. Um, so I'm Brian Zuliger. I uh, live in uh, Denver, Colorado in the United States and uh, full-time I work as a professor uh, at a university called Adams State University and uh, I teach sports psychology. And I have a graduate uh, program, a master's degree program that's fully online um, in applied sports psychology. So I, I oversee that program and, and teach in that program full-time. Um, and then I also have uh, 
my own business um, where I work as a performance coach, sort of in the broader sense, but specialty in, in mental performance coaching and working with athletes and coaches. Um, and then so I do um, coaching education as well. And then um, I, I also work with um, sort of business um, professionals and executive coaching and those kind of things and do um, some, some speaking engagements as well. And uh, so it's kind of a broad um, kind of uh, business in the sense of sort of what I cover, but uh, it's, it's all performance related and, and in particular um, centered around sort of sports psychology. Um, and then educational background kind of that led me into that is um, uh, a bachelor's degree in uh, um, kinesiology and exercise science and then a, a master's degree in human movement and performance with a specialty in sports psychology and then eventually a, a PhD in sports psychology. Uh, so yeah, so it's kind of um, who I am and where I am and, and sort of what I do. So it's kind of a couple different hats, but they're all related to each other. Yeah, Yeah. no, exercise science and sports psychology both together are, are so holistic that uh, they, they help you just dive deeper into various aspects of... Uh, um, human movements and performance and uh, and and that's why this conversation is uh, very relevant today um, I remember a um, couple of weeks ago now Tokyo Marathon has just gone by and India has good representation this year so we had 114 people who went to the race and I was speaking with some of them um, it sounded like they wanted to do better and um, they, some of them did not do as well. And I could see different types of reactions. One was, hey, I'm going to start training again. Another was, uh, maybe, you know, this is, uh, this is it for me. I don't want to now go to London and many other things. So, so a lot of disappointments from the output that they, that they achieved in the, in the race. And that got me thinking, what could be happening there why is it they are looking at performance this way? Why are they thinking of a situation to be this way and someone was blaming on, hey, I had to fly a lot because of work pressures, etc. Otherwise, I could have done significantly better. But it seemed like at the end, they were guilty of not performing. I wanted your help in understanding what could have been going on here and, uh, and what do you think, how should people should look at approaching it? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, it's, um, it could be a lot of factors. I mean, performance is, is very complex. And that's, um, to your point about sort of the, the exercise science and uh, sports psychology kind of background that I have in combination of the two, so sort of the, the physiological and um, biomechanics, nutrition, strength and conditioning, all sort of the traditional sports science um, education and concepts that people tend to think of normally. And then sports psychology is it is this holistic look at it, right? Um, and so I say that because when you're trying to analyze performance and why somebody performs well or doesn't perform well, I think too often people look at it in kind of either very siloed ways or in very much like the physical, physiological kind of context. Like, oh, I didn't train properly or maybe I didn't feel right or whatever it is. And, and those are all definitely very realistic possibilities. But the area that I think a lot of people neglect or don't think about until it's kind of like too late a lot of times is sort of the mental side of things, right? And into um, so when we look at that, and I say, and I say performance is complex, I think w when we look at how we handle outcomes, that's, that's something that we do have control over, right? It's how we respond, right? And, and I think a lot of it and how we better prepare for how we respond to an outcome, whether it's a good outcome or one that we didn't um, like, right? And sort of, you know, the example you're explaining, I think we have to be able to change our perspective on how we look at it going into it, right, as well. Um, so there's your response, obviously, but your ability to respond to that is going to be better controlled by you if you have a better perspective on how you look at performance and, and really outcome and competition going into it, right? And then I think for a lot of people, um, we're outcome driven, right? And, and what I mean by that is, is the outcome is what drives us if we're, it's there sort of that we're trying to get that goal or that time or that place or whatever it is kind of thing and running, it's often sort of that personal best is what everybody sort of 
you know, searching for or trying to get. And, and the way I has put it in simple terms is if you get a PB, you're happy. If you don't get a PB or a PR kind of thing, you're not happy, right? And if you really think about that, that could be a second one way or another, right? So, you know, I always usually kind of use this analogy, you know, like a click in the stopwatch, right? And if I click it here and then I click it there like a second later, in one scenario, you're happy. One scenario, you're not happy, right? And when we really boil that down, that's kind of messed up, right? Like, it's not like, you know, how is that one second really throwing your life off, really? Like, yeah. and, and it shouldn't. But when we put way too much emphasis on the outcome and that perspective isn't healthy going into it, then it's going to make it much harder to have a good, healthy response on the backside. And so you see a lot of frustration and anguish and things like that. And it's okay to be frustrated and to be upset. I mean, you put a lot of work into something and you care about it, right? But we have to learn to, I guess, in simple terms, not care quite as much. Sure. Um, because if we care too much, then we also are going to have that really difficult backside when we don't do as well kind of thing, right? And for the average person who's not trying to make the Olympics or something like that, and especially in those cases, it's like, yeah, it's it's not that big a deal, right? And, and even for those people in the grand scheme of things, yes, it's important. And yes, they put a lot of weight on it, but it's still kind of the same core concepts at the end of the day is being able to kind of like focus on the process and um, look at competition and opportunity to push yourself to be the best you can be um, on that given day. And then whatever the outcome is, we have to be sort of at peace with that and say, hey, what can I learn from this? How can I get better? And how can I move forward kind of thing? And so then in those cases, it's hopefully not such drastic, you know, like you said, where some people are like, oh, you know, I'm just going to quit or whatever, or, or, you know, or throw the towel in. And some people are maybe super motivated and like, oh, I'm going to go train really hard and come back for the next one. And I'm going to be really good. And I think both of those are actually unhealthy to some extent. And we've got to kind of be somewhere more in the middle um, of this. But we tend to kind of be all or nothing with a lot of that but that happens when you're outcome driven because the outcome driven says i'm happy if i get the outcome i'm not happy if i don't and so it's a very all or nothing kind of approach yeah it seems like um the mindset of uh, the mindset of doing better the mindset of having only one linear success metric of running faster in this case for example um could not be at, as healthy and and i think also to blame equally is um, um, the the sports variable companies, the, the 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 watches that talk about your PRs, your VO2 max, and they will talk about all sorts of improvements, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because everywhere, almost you're constricted to think only in one particular way. That hey, are you doing better today than yesterday or not? So it seems like the success metric um, here is outcome driven. Now, now. That's how I see that the situations start to come by that because you're, you're thinking linearly, you're going to the race and say, hey, I'm going to perform well. I'm going to do my best. I have liability to post online. I have liability to tell my <laughs> Strava friends uh, as well as on yeah, social media yeah. and my family at the end that, uh, hey, I did this well. Um, now, I wanted to see because there are so many of these forces, external forces that are asking me to give these answers for me to be responsible, responsible, how do I really not do it? And how do I actually not look at being successful in this way that is outcome driven, right? Because I think it takes a bit as well as it takes a lot of effort to get there. It's just mm -hmm. not as easy, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of forces at play, like you said, um, pulling you away from this, right? And, and that's only gotten worse over the years as, as a lot of these things that you mentioned have been added in social media in particular and these various things. But even the technology and devices and equipment around it, like you said, whether it's a GPS watch or it's, you know, the shoes nowadays, right? You know, is, is a big, you know, topic and all these different things. And it's interesting to me, I always tell people, people are so willing to spend money on different types of equipment and stuff to try to get that edge. Um, but they, they're not very willing or even, sometimes it's because they don't know. But even when they do know about mental performance coaching or something like that, they aren't often as willing to spend, you know, $100, let's say, to meet with a mental performance coach for a session or something like that. They'll spend $250 on these shoes that, 
may or may not actually make them run faster, right? But they sell it as they do, to your point of that outcome driven. They're marketing it as, oh, this is the outcome. It's three, it's going to get you so much percentage better or whatever kind of thing and stuff like that. And um, for some people it does, but for some people, they, I've been in races with people wearing them and they don't yeah. run very fast, right? They could be wearing just a yeah. hundred dollar pair of shoes and run just as fast, right? Like, and so, but, but we're, they're sold this idea and there's psychology behind all of these things, right? Um, that they're trying to take advantage of, right? And um, the social media and different things all kind of play into that as well. And so it just says you've got to have even more of a better base, a mental base, a mindset set up to be able to navigate that, in my opinion, which highlights the importance of the need for this even more so now than maybe even 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, because there's just more things at play, like you said. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, like when you look at all those things, um, the ability to really know why you're doing it and, and you know again that outcome versus you know like are you doing it because you want to push yourself to be your best we think about oh, we were talking about pbs and prs right the essence of that is personal excellence it's not about comparing myself to me beating you in a race it's about you trying to beat yourself and i'm trying to beat myself right and if we stay at the core of that then we're in the right place but we're, but we start to compare and, you know, and even within ourselves, it's like, well, if I don't get that PB, it's like, you're not going to always go faster every time you go out and run. Like, that's just not reality in most cases, right? Unless you've got a lot of room to improve, then maybe you could do that. But eventually you're going to get to a point where you're, you're not going to be able to do that every time you step out and, and race. So it, it really comes back to like, why are you doing it? Like, are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for fun? Are you doing it because you really enjoy it? Um, those more intrinsic motivation, internal motivations, or are you doing it because you're going to post it on Strava or you're going to be able to post and show your, your medal or whatever and talk about your time that you hit and what your goal was to your friends and stuff like that. And those things are great. It's okay to like share things with people and celebrate that but we can also lose sight of kind of who we're doing it for, right? And I think that's where some of that struggle comes into play is that it's not my thing anymore. It's like I'm doing it for somebody else kind of in a way, whether that's literally somebody else or like metaphorically kind of somebody else in the sense of like, you know, and the reality is most people aren't actually probably looking at it that much, right? We tend to overestimate how much we think other people care about our performance. Yeah, and and that puts that's where we put the pressure on ourselves, and then we're like, oh, I feel all down about it and stuff like that. And it's like most people looking at it are going to be like, well, that's great, they did that race. You know, I could never do that, you know, or something like that. You know, like even on your worst days, you go back to most people that you know that aren't competitive runners or even recreational runners, and they're going to think the fact that you ran a marathon is amazing, right? And I'm going to know what a good time is or a bad time is. But in your mind, you're all bent out of shape about it because it wasn't what you wanted it to be. So. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, the fact that you showed up, that's important. The fact that you're able to, to be healthy and be able to train to log those miles are important. Mm -hmm. The fact that it works on your longevity, that's important because like what you said, you're not going to win Olympics. That while that might be an aspiration, but not possibly practical for most of us, and and so it's important. I think the points that I'm taking from this conversation that is that um, you need to spend also enough time thinking about it without biases to see, hey, is this expected of you, or is this how you perceive for it to be expected of you? Because if it's the latter, you will continue to, to possibly struggle because you have the fear of unknown that people are watching, people are watching over you, and they are, they are, they are possibly not going to be as happy and they expect more from you. Instead, I think what you are also saying is that we possibly need to look at other success matrices, right? Being able to sustain, being able mm -hmm. to... Yeah possibly train better and not train better, but rather train regularly and, and do it for a consistency. Yeah. 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 Consistency is a form of success. Right. And, um, the other thing too, is like, uh, we, we look at it and we, 
it's about being consistent and in, in, in improving there, but also like, um, I'm trying to think what I was going to say it, it, when you have, um, performances and you're trying to look at, you know, whether or not it was good or bad kind of, and what, you know, other people think of it, I think it's, you know, your evaluation of yourself. And, and what happens is when you let other, when you do it for other people too much and you're not doing it for yourself, it robs you of that joy. Yeah. Right. So you're talking about it, like you're frustrated or you're not even really enjoying it. And then it kind of comes like, well, what's the point? Why are you really doing it? Are you doing this so that you're can be frustrated? Right. Like it's kind of weird when you step back from it, but I think we get so in it when we're doing it, that it's hard to have that perspective. And that's where a lot of times as a mental performance coach, I can help people kind of pull back a little bit um, a w- little wider lens of looking at it, whatever metaphor you want to use to kind of say, Hey, whoa, this isn't like as much as I'm making it out to be right. Like, um, and, uh, I think that's really important. And, and that's the struggle. I think is it, like the simple way to say it is that you get robbed of the joy of the actual activity when you get too into it that way. Right. So what would you suggest in your experience could be some of, some of the ways through which one could work on their mindset. I think it's coming to be um, on the point of mindset itself, right? How do you see it? Mm-hmm. How do you think of these things? And how do you actually not get stressed out? How do you, because because this is a question that keeps coming from people that, hey, you tell me it, seem, it sounds easy, but it's very difficult for me. I can't think of anything other than just doing PRs and running after yeah, it. So yeah. how do I set my target? Yeah, yeah. So one of the simple ways um, I talk about this for runners in particular around sort of the PR and PB kind of concept, personal best, personal records, right? You're setting these goals um, and they're usually time oriented, right? Um, And is to, if you've done enough races, which, you know, if you've only done one, then you've only got one to go off of. But if you've done three or more, you can do this exercise. And it's to take your top three or five times in a particular race. So if we're saying the marathon, right? So your top three marathon times, right? And average those. And that becomes your new PB or PR, right? And I call it an average PB or whatever you, you know, but for for all intents and purposes, you're averaging them out to make a new one. And the reason why that is really important because then now we're getting to some level of consistency, right? So maybe one day I ran three hours, maybe the other day I ran three hours and 30 minutes, and the other time maybe I ran three hours and 45 minutes, right? If you were to ask that person what their marathon time is, they would most likely tell you three hours, right? Um, and it's not to blame that person. That's just kind of how we talk about it in running. We tend to define and identify ourselves as our personal best. And that idea of identify becomes really important because what happens for people is they take that on literally as like their identity. They'll say, I'm a three hour marathoner, right? Or whatever it Mm. is. And it's like, no, on that one day you were a three hour marathoner, right? But on the other day you were a three and a half hour marathoner and the other day you were a three hour and 45 minute marathoner, right? And so you, if you average those out, right, you know, it's, it's, it's not three hours. It's, it's, it's somewhere in between. Okay. And that becomes crucial because then now when I step out and run a race, I'm not expecting to run 259. I'm trying to improve on whatever that average is. And on any given day, you're going to be more likely to get somewhere near your average than you are your PB. To expect to walk out and get a PB every time is is just not realistic. But to walk out and say, hey, I can perform at or near my average or even improve my average, great. And if I do get that PB and I do run 259 today, great. But it's not necessarily always trying to go out and run 259 when I haven't been able to demonstrate the consistency in being able to do that. Now, if you've run three hours and 305 and 310 and 308 and 309 or whatever, and those kind of your averages, then yeah, maybe you can have the expectation that one of these times I'm going to go out and hit 259, right? Um, And it doesn't mean that that other first person that, you know, sort of hypothetical example I gave couldn't do the same thing, but the likelihood is much lower because you haven't demonstrated the consistency there, right? And this is where the mindset becomes really crucial because we want to develop a mindset that's consistency oriented, right? To 
people tend to talk about peak performances and that kind of stuff. And that's the optimal kind of mindset. I actually prefer to have an optimal mindset around like consistent performance Hmm. because that's going to make you more stable from a mindset standpoint. It's going to make you be able to weather more challenges and adversity and all those kind of things. And it's going to increase the likelihood that on any given day, you can get your best out. Right. But what I see for a lot of people is it's like, well, if my legs feel good, then maybe I can do it, right? Or if I get my nutrition right, then maybe I can do it. Like there's all these contingencies, right? And what those are is basically like excuses in our head before we even start the race. So that if something doesn't go right, I've got something to blame it on already, right? And, and, And that's what it is. Instead of just owning it and saying, hey, like maybe I just wasn't that fit or maybe I just didn't have it today, right? Like, and that's okay. Like that's just the nature of it. And something like a marathon in particular, it's like you've got such a long buildup and then it's just one day and it's just these couple of hours or whatever, right? Like, um, and so to say that you're going to get everything to align on that day for two to six hours is really hard to do. When we think about all the variables in performance, like we were talking about earlier, right? So I'd rather that person going in with sort of this like range of where I think I can be like, which is more consistency oriented. And then we work to improve that range. And then over time, that average gets better and increases the likelihood that you will hit one of those days when your legs feel good and you get your nutrition dialed and the weather's great and everything. And boom, you, you hit that time. Right. But it also allows you to kind of go out and and feel and experience success in different ways on those days when, when you don't have it. And then it's not an all or nothing kind of game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a much healthier mindset and approach to doing that. And I think when you, that's a simple exercise that then shifts my mindset away from that PB, like you were saying, it's difficult to do, right? So this is something tangible that you can actually do besides just telling yourself it, right? <laughs> like, cause if you don't really believe it, you can tell yourself all you want. It's not going to change anything. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a such a good way of looking at it, and uh, it seems like if you if you think of uh, being consistent as a parameter, and you are able to do it over a period of time, I think also the the joy that comes out of it, the the results that you are getting, that will truly value your your health, your um, your performance, mental well being. All of these are are significantly better, I think, than just looking at a, a single metric of uh, a PR. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I can also I can also relate with it is that, hey, it's a, maybe you are a person who is running six months out of a year in one training season and uh, and getting a race timing and you think that's your PR and, and the next six months you're not, not turning up. Mm-hmm. Possibly you're doing more harm to yourself than you would otherwise if you were not looking at that one great performance, but rather train year long, because then you are building a habit of being fitter, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Consistency is really important, especially when we look at just general well-being, right? You know, I mean, um, for, for most people pursuing endurance activities, it's a source, great source of cardiovascular health, right? Like at its most basic level, right? And that's going to help you um, have, you know, better health outcomes, better longevity, better mental well-being and all those kind of things. But we can also see sort of a dark side to it as well. Like too much of a good thing is a bad thing, right? And, And that is the danger of endurance sports is that we are doing so much that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And that's where I see sort of that that all in all or nothing kind of approach puts people in that, that mindset to fall into that, to where I am taking something that should be fun, exciting, invigorating, positive health outcomes should come from it physically and physiologically and psychologically, um, for just mental well-being and stuff outside of like, you know, performing and PRing and stuff like that. Right. And when you take that into account as well, it's like every day that you can go out and do this, that's, that's a win, right? Every day that you get to, like you said, line up and race, right? That's a win, right? Like I work with a lot of competitive athletes and in recreational athletes and in particular endurance events and running, you know, it's repetitive. People get injured, right? 
And that person, when you're injured, they would give anything to be able to just run for two minutes, maybe, right? Like say they got a stress fracture or something and they're in a boot, right? That person would be able to give anything, just run for two minutes, right? But then they come back and they run for two minutes and they're like, well, that's not good enough. Now I got to run for longer. And then now they're back to just regular running and like, well, now, now I need to be working out. I need to do workouts. I need to be able to do a long run. I need to be able to do a tempo run or whatever it is, right? Like a track session. And then they start doing those and then all of a sudden that's not good enough. And that's like, well, no, now I'm not hitting my times, right? And it's like this endless kind of thing. But if you pull it back to that person who was in the boot who said, I'd give anything to be able to run just for two minutes and I'd be so happy, right? Why did that mindset shift as they came out of that? And all of a sudden now it's like nothing's good enough, right? And that's what we see happen. And yeah. I often tell people like, hey, go talk to that person and ask them like to give that sort of gratitude and perspective of this, like this is an opportunity that you get to do this. And every day that you get to do it is a, is a great opportunity and one that you should take advantage of and be happy with it. Like there's, n- there's no good or bad run. Arguably the bad run is the one you didn't get to go on, right? Like, yeah. you know, and there's no good or bad races technically. The bad race is the one you didn't get to do because you couldn't be with friends and people and celebrate in this community kind of thing and do this fun thing that you all like to do and stuff like that, right? But we lose sight of that because we get so hung up on these times and places and things like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it distracts us from really being in the optimal mindset to, to actually perform well. Yeah. And, and I, think, uh, I think that's such a good way of looking at it. That's such a good perspective that... Um, you can always learn it from the person who doesn't have it yet. Uh, and and it's it's a, also a very important point, and it's pretty deep when you say this, that the bad run is the one that you did not put in. The bad race is the one where you could not get to the start line. Um, I, can, I can also anecdotally tell you uh, from my personal experience, last year I was scheduled to be at the New York City Marathon, um, trained for the entire season, uh, I think 12 hours before the departure, I was pulled into a meeting that I could not get out of and I could not reach the States. And, and I, still, uh, I still think, hey, I wish I was there. While here there was a commitment and now I can go this year, but um, I would have been happier if I was able to, do, to, to go to the race. I saw people were cribbing about it being pretty hot. And I said, I would take it, even if I went and finished it in seven hours. I... Exactly, yeah, because you were like, I didn't even get to go. Exactly, <laughs> and and I was that person who was in the boot, who could not get in that two minutes. I was like, hey, I was sitting here. And and you guys are cribbing about that you did not get your PR. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, uh, and I continue to emphasize, change your success metric, um, and you will see that actually success is there within. It's just that you need to look at it, otherwise... Uh, we are setting ourselves for dissatisfaction um, ourselves. Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be unhappy more than you are happy, right? And so, who wants to live that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you uh, for uh, for this. It's uh, it's truly insightful. I was also thinking that as we were discussing, people always look at resources. Uh, I'm sure this conversation will raise some curiosity among many of the listeners, and they might want to go look up on some help, some resources that could help them figure out how do they get started if they are at a, at a place where they have been thinking about their success linearly and have one success metric only. And if they were to work on their mindset, they were to work on uh, looking at this whole scheme of things in general, how should they approach it? Is there any resource, anything that you have uh, been working on that you can guide to where they could they could go to i think that would be helpful yeah yeah i mean there's there's lots of information out there now um with with uh whether it's social media youtube you know just the internet in general right um and so it's kind of almost yeah. too, it's really too much information and how do you how do you filter it and how do you sift through it right and that's one of the things i try to do as an educator is help guide people through sort of the 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 maze or the fog of of information right and what's what's good and what's real and what's kind of not so good right and um you know the short answer is i i I don't have a robust website i have some information on there it's a it's a good place to start but i think in general if we're looking at sports psychology mental training um 
the association that I have my certification through, the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, which, which is an international organization. It's it's predominantly, I think, membership is is the United States and and um, Europe, but it it is international. Um, and so, their web page has a lot of good information to just kind of get somebody started on. Hey, what is this? What does it look like? You know, who, who are mental performance coaches? How do I reach out to them in particular ones that are certified, um, which I think is a good place to start. There are some people who aren't certified that, that do good work. Um, just like any certification, it doesn't mean that the person's, you know, uh, 100% all the time kind of thing. But it's a good place to start and get information, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, you're a parent, you've got kids that are getting into the sport um, and stuff like that, it, it, it's a great place, kind of a landing place to get um, general information about sports psychology. Um, there's different articles and free resources on their um, basics of, of kind of mental training. They have some videos and things as well. And then there's a whole directory of people like myself who have the certification um, around the, the world um, and information on how to contact them and sort of what their specialties are and different things like that. Um, and so I think that's a really good place. That's, so that's the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. And I can get you that information if you've got like show notes kind of thing or something like that for that link for people. Um, and the beauty of it nowadays is that because of, um, you know, virtual stuff is so commonplace nowadays that, um, you literally can access anybody in the world kind of thing. Um, and so I've, I, for example, have a client who's an athlete in, in Europe, you know, um, and we meet virtually just, you know, over video um, and, and do those kind of things. And, and even sometimes people that are in Denver meet with me virtually kind of thing, because it's just a convenience thing, depending on their training schedules and work schedules. Like you said, you're trying to balance all these things. Um, and so those are great opportunities and many professionals now offer those services. So that's a, a great way to kind of get introduced to it. And I think it's one of those things where, like a lot of things, just doing a session to get introduced to it and understand what mental performance coaching is and working with somebody, I think is a great place to start. Um, and then from there, obviously, there's lots of books and um, articles and resources and things like that. Um, if I had to steer anybody to one in particular, um, I believe she was actually a guest of yours. Uh, Dina Castor has a book yeah. um, called Let Your Mind Run. Um, and I've read it. And um, I don't always say this about every athlete's book or every person's book, but hers is, is really good. And in particular, it's really good from a mindset and mental training standpoint. Um, and uh, I, I, I think um, that's a, 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 it's a simple, easy read. It's accessible. It's, it's you know, mainstream publication kind of thing. Um, it's, it's affordable. It's not crazy expensive or anything like that. So it's not like you got to buy a textbook or sign up for a class or something like that kind of thing. And what she talks about in there is actually backed by the science and the research. I can tell you that um, from, um, from everything that I teach. And so that's one of the reasons why I recommend that is because um, of that. So, so that's a book that's, that's running oriented and, and um, your listeners will be familiar with with the author and she maybe even talked yeah. about it on her, her episode or something like that. But, um, so that's a good one. And then, yeah, I think that, uh, the, you know, those websites and then obviously from there, I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities, but it's something I always tell people I'm an educator first. And so, um, usually when people reach out to me, I don't mind, um, sharing things with them, whether that's by email or, um, through social media or something that kind of thing. So, sure. Sure. No, uh, that's helpful. And uh, you're right. Dina's book is it's so easy to understand as well. You relate with it. Yeah. And uh, it just seems like you are in in that world and uh, and and it is helping you. Um, it is helping you step by step. And uh, yeah. thank you so much for highlighting again. And this is something that has come out in a couple of conversations. So mm -hmm. I was just gonna say, I think to, to add to that is, she talks about she was physiologically good and she it was when she really kind of mastered the mental game that she really had her breakthroughs right and and i think that's one of the things i like about it too is that acknowledgement of that and i think for so many people they're held back from exploring or working on mental training because they let their egos get in the way 
quite frankly, if I'm being honest. It's this idea that, well, I, I, I can just run more miles and I'll just get fitter and that's what I need to do, right? Because if we acknowledge, if we say I'm going to work on my mental game, then for a lot of people, there's this idea or stigma that I'm acknowledging that somehow I'm weak or I'm not good enough, right? And that's actually the exact opposite of it. Like people like to talk about mental toughness all the time and I'm not really sold on that necessarily. But to me, true mental toughness is the acknowledgement that I need to, that I can work on this and I can get better at it. And that's really the true toughness, in my opinion, is the idea that you can just at least acknowledge and be vulnerable enough to say, hey, there's things out there that I maybe don't know about that could help me get better. But I think too many people won't acknowledge that. And the reason why they won't acknowledge it is because sort of this fear or stigma built around it as, well, that means you're weak or something like that, right? But if, if somebody were to say, oh, I've started weight training for running, right? Nobody would go, oh, why are you doing that? Are you weak or something like that? No, people would say, oh, yeah. that's great. You're trying to get better, like, right? It helps you. But yeah. if I tell you, hey, I've started working with a mental performance coach, or hey, I'm starting to work on mental training, and I'm doing this journaling and keeping track of my thought process on my runs and stuff like that, people would be like, are you okay? Like, what's going on with you? Like, you know, right. Like it's not, it's accepted. It's, and it's not yeah. as rewarded or even encouraged as some of these other things are that help us perform better. And I think we need to shift that narrative. Right. And so that's one of the things I like about the fact that somebody who's as successful a runner as Dina is, is openly talking about some of those things and being vulnerable in, in some of those spaces about some of the challenges and struggles and, and how she overcame those. Right. Um, and that's resilience. Yeah. You know, we yeah. talk about resilience a lot. That's a pretty um, buzzword topic in, in the world now. And um, I think for a lot of people, yeah. they, yeah. they misconstrue what it actually is. The, the point you mentioned about mental toughness, it, it caught my attention again and I've been meaning to uh, raise this question to you: that in this um, in in this day and world, um, what has happened is we think that if there is a situation that comes in our mind that is adverse, we think that okay, it's fine. I will sail through this. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to ignore it, and that is all, right? What, in your opinion, is this um, is this the right mindset? Is this addressing the issue or it is suppressing it rather? Uh, it's a little of both, I would say. But I would say most often it's, it's probably suppressing it, right? And that's often what we were taught historically um, in a lot of different cultures. I mean, every, every, every culture has different mindsets, philosophies, beliefs, and stuff like that. But in general, I would say historically there's kind of this idea of just tough it out, right? Just sort of push through, right? And that's sort of, in some ways, the essence of endurance sport, right? We're pushing our bodies and, and minds to these extreme limits. And to some of that, you, you have to do that, right? Like, and actually, this part of what we do with mental training is training people in their self-talk to override that voice in your head that says slow down to some extent, right? The challenge with that is kind of like we were talking about earlier. Like, if you just sort of this push through all the time mentality, right, that's that doesn't work well either, right? Because we have breaking points, um, physiologically, mentally, and those kind of things, right? And and injury is talked about and so commonplace in running, but it's a physical injury, right? But we can have sort of a, a metaphorical mental injury. And those are just as poorly diagnosed as the physical injuries. And they're often swept under the rug and not talked about and those kind of things, right? And the idea that maybe I maybe I don't line up and run the race because I do have an injury. People would talk about that and be totally okay with that. But to say, I'm not going to line up and run the race because I'm not mentally in a good headspace to do that. That's not commonplace and acceptable for people to talk about that. Right. And, and we're seeing this now on the mainstream level on the world stage in the Olympics and stuff like that with different athletes talking about mental health more and things like that. And that's just your general baseline mental health. That's not even saying, hey, everything's like going great. Like, let's talk about like a mindset of like, how can I go try to win a gold medal or something like that, right? So to this point of like the suppression versus kind of like, we have to acknowledge it and we have to learn to accept it and kind of lean into it and and actually work on it, right? And I think for in a lot of people historically, it's kind of like, oh, block it out or don't think about it or just like, kind of bury it down there and, and, and kind of grit it out. Right. And there's a certain element of that, that can be helpful, 
And I think that's part of the danger. And especially in something like endurance sports, like I was saying, it's sort of like you almost get rewarded for doing that in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's a short-term reward with long-term consequences that are much worse, right? And that's the same person. It's the same thing with like the person who's like, well, I'm just going to do this extra workout or this extra mileage. And that's like that extra bit that pushes you over. And now you've got a stress fracture or now you've got this inflammation that blew up or something like that tendonitis or whatever it is, right? And so this idea of always doing more is actually counterproductive, right? And that's one of the challenges. And I think when we look at that, the true mental toughness or strength or whatever you want to call it, like, is the idea to acknowledge that, hey, like, I could maybe do more, but I'm not going to. That takes more mm -hmm. mental capacity and discipline yeah. and training to do that than to do the extra thing, right? Um, and I think that's sort of some of that psychology of that too, right? Is like, there's this interplay. And so I see it in endurance sports a lot where athletes get sucked into this idea of, well, this is what toughness is, or this is how I get better is I just, I just do more. I just do more mileage or I do it at a faster intensity or whatever it is. And, um, that's just not the case mentally and physically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it also is that with the, um, anything that pertains to what's in our mind, it's so qualitative that most of the times we keep doubting whether it actually even is an issue or not. Yeah, yeah. And that's where if you're talking to somebody, they can help you sort through that. But we try to do it all on ourselves, on yeah. our own. And, and that's exactly why I was coming to this point, that it is so important that you speak to someone who's qualified to be able to to confirm either your the information that you have or even biases that you may be building or just just hear you out it's a, it's okay to to express and it's okay to to seek help more than anything mm -hmm. else right yeah. um, i think we're always worried about our uh, metabolic health we are worried about our um, blood parameters and test the moment anything shoots up or down, we run around, take the pills. <laughs> and why not reach out here when it's a lot easier to be able to, to possibly uh, have someone who you could speak to and it does not require necessarily a pill to get mm -hmm. uh, get it addressed, but rather yeah. certain changes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and And then there's also the aspect too of just like we look at our physical health, like we tend to historically kind of have reactive approaches to it, especially in in the Western part of the world. In the United States, we have a very reactive medical model. We have a very reactive mm. way. We look at, you know, you go see the doctor when you're sick, right? Like kind of thing. And um, in terms of mental health, if we do address that, it's only when there's like a crisis, right? Like, and, you know, in my line of work and what I'm doing, and since I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a counselor, it's, it's a more proactive educational approach. It says, regardless of whether you're thriving or not, we're going to work on building some baseline mental skills and some mindset and, and mental training into what you're doing. And ideally, you've got the skills then before something happens. So when you face challenges and adversity, which invariably we all do, you've got some skills to go to. Um, and then, you know, like you said, you, you've got a relationship with somebody, whether it's you know, somebody like myself or somebody who does also have a counseling and, and um, psychologist background um, type of situation, you've got somebody to talk to and you've got a baseline established, right? Um, I talk about this a lot recently, like we, at least in the United States, we have a primary care physician a lot of times is, you know, if, you've, if you're fortunate to have insurance, you've got a primary care physician, you see them usually once a year, hypothetically, for an annual checkup. And even if you don't go once a year, you at least have somebody whose name is listed on your insurance card. Or, and even if you don't have insurance, you still have somebody that you probably like know and would go to. Right. But most people don't have somebody in that same kind of context from a mental health standpoint. We do for physical health, but we don't for mental health. And so I'm an advocate of sort of like having like a primary care mental health clinician that you can talk to, can reach out to, and even if it's just once a year or once every couple of years, even just know their name and who they are and how to contact them, right? But in most cases, I think that's another barrier too, is because people maybe recognize something's amiss, 
but they don't know how to access it. They don't know where to go, right? Like, you know, okay, I go to the hospital if I'm sick or something like that, or if I go to the doctor if I'm sick, right? Like, but most people, if you ask them if they were struggling and maybe felt like depressed and you said, well, where would you go or what would you do? They wouldn't know the answer, right? Um, and so I think that's an important piece to all this too is, is there's a lot of education that needs to be done on sort of the mental health to mental performance kind of spectrum of like, you know, somebody who's in full-blown crisis mode kind of thing to somebody who is fine and their well-being is good and they're flourishing and they're just trying to get that, you know, difference between a silver medal and a gold medal maybe or something like that on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? Um, and and I think that's a big piece of it too is, is just getting more education out there on, you know, both sides of the, that spectrum. Sure. It seems like it's a... It's a lifelong process if you if you start right and uh, and you get educated with the mm-hmm. qualified practitioner you you learn a skill this is a skill I think yeah. which is a life skill and um, and it's extremely important uh, to be able to to more than anything else to be able to just have a life that's more fulfilling and uh, and and not as uh, as much stressed out now other side of it is. Uh, when people are performing, when they are racing, when they are training, mm-hmm. um, they see there are certain life stressors that come their way. And yeah. uh, if that is a situation and in case they do not have access to a practitioner or uh, or it's not serious enough that they need to possibly think that they they have an urgency to be able to go and, uh, and see someone, yeah. do you suggest that there is something that they can include as a practice in their training, along with their training, etc., how they will, like what you said, along with your uh, endurance sport training, you also incorporate strength training, you incorporate nutrition, that is right, sleep, etc. How do you do that for your mental training? Yeah, I think the simplest and easiest thing for an endurance athlete is literally while you're doing it, right? So we're Mm. thinking, we're thinking, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, we're thinking all the time, right? you and I have thoughts going on right now, literally while we're talking actually. Right. And you know, what am I going to say next? You're listening, trying to yeah. think about, Hey, maybe when we ask this question, where, what is he going to say? Those kind of things. Right. And we've got these, yeah. And yeah. sometimes they're really fast and sometimes maybe you're really in the moment. You're very focused and you're very dialed into just what I'm saying and, and vice versa. But the point of that is, is every time you go out and go for a run, you're thinking, And sports psychology at its most basic level is training people to think more effectively, to improve their well-being and to attempt to improve their performance, right? And so if I can try to train myself on every run to one, first step is to be aware of what my thought process is on a run, right? So I have to have some level of awareness, be paying attention to that. Um, journaling after the run is a good way to kind of keep track of that because you usually, you know, lose sight of how you felt on a run, maybe several hours later or whatever it is kind of thing. So I suggest people keep mental training logs. A lot of people Mm -hmm. keep running logs, whether that's virtually or old school paper and pencil kind of thing. And you track your mileage or you're tracking time or intensity, this many repetitions, whatever pace, that kind of stuff. Right is to create some version of a mental training log. So like, you know, how was my ability to focus today? Was I really aware or was I really distracted, right? So were those life distressors really pulling me away and I wasn't able to focus today? Okay, be aware of that at least. Journal it, write some brief notes about it. That allows you some reflection on it. So it's creating some awareness about it. So the next time it happens, like, okay, yeah, this maybe seems to be a pattern. Maybe this happens on certain runs, on certain days, after certain events or whatever it is. And so you start to see some patterns just like you do in your your running that you track in a training log, right? And then from there, it says, okay, well, what can I do to develop some strategies to change that thought process on the run, right? And then the better I can get at doing that, then the better it's going to allow me to be able to do that on race day, right? Um, and that's the mental training and that's how you do it. And so it doesn't have to be, I sit down and have a session necessarily with a mental performance coach, or I sit down and have a session with a counselor or whatever it might be. 
those are beneficial, but on a most basic level, it's just like, you know, you go out and run and maybe you have a coach and they write a workout for you. And maybe they're even actually at your workout, but you still kind of do it on your own. Right. And same thing with the strength and conditioning. You still got to go into the weight room and lift the weights. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what the program. Right. And so I could write you a full mental training program, but you still got to do it. Right. And, and yeah. sort of in most simple terms, paying attention to how you think while you're running, getting some notes on that, some data on that. So I can start to, like you said, it's qualitative in nature. I can start to have some patterns, right? Cause we tend to think qualitative. We can't see patterns. We can't see results. We tend to think of research as being quantitative and like, what was the results significant or not? And what percentage of increase and those kind of things. Right. Well, we can do a similar thing with qualitative actually. It's called pulling out themes and patterns in our thoughts and what we see in the qualitative data. And so when you do that, then now that can inform your training to go back and say, okay, I need to maybe be more focused on this while I'm running, or I maybe need to be more focused on this while I'm running, or maybe that life stressor is such a big thing that I need to actually do something about that and address that. Mm. And it's not that I can't focus on my run. It's just that this particular thing is such a big thing that I have to address that. And then I'll be able to focus on my run. No amount of mental training is going to make me be able to overcome that because it's too big of a thing. Right. So it's sort of that version of like, Hey, it's, it's a mental health thing potentially. And I need to talk to somebody qualified in that space to assist me with that. So I think that's your most basic, you know, mental training thing that somebody could do is an awareness of what is my thought process? Are those thoughts effective or ineffective? not positive or negative. We tend to be this positive or negative kind of game. And everybody says, think positive, think positive. And, and quite frankly, I think that's led to a lot of toxic positivity and a lot of cultures and sort of just pop psychology in general. And so for me in a performance lens, I'm more interested in effective or ineffective, right? So is this thought helping me perform better? Mm. Is this thought improving my well-being, or is it hindering my performance? It's, it's, negatively impacting my well-being right and then from there i can start to kind of identify kind of my mindset how do i think in general and how do i think around performances and training and i can start to work to try to shift that sure yeah no that's uh, that's pretty helpful and uh, one of the other things i think that it helps and and i have, I have felt it myself when i'm running especially if i if I'm not thinking of something else consciously, then I'm thinking of my pace. I'm thinking of my heart rate. Mm -hmm. And that is rather stressing me out more because every time I'm out, it's asking me to perform. And I can't always be in performance mode. At times I need to be in thinking mode. At times I need to be in just enjoying it and just take it easy. So yeah. I think the point where what you said, if you're being conscious about what you're thinking, you actually see that just starts to become so cohesive and inclusive as well. And this is how mm -hmm. I think of it. Maybe it's not, not the right terminology, but this is how, how I see and and it, it helps me a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is sort of a balance between conscious and, and subconscious, right? And we need to be a little bit of both while we're performing, right? We can't be completely subconscious because um, we have to yeah. sports chaotic things change and happen around you, right? Yeah. Um, but that's sort of, you know, what we talk about being in flow or being in the zone or whatever, those kind of things, which those are really fleeting moments, in my opinion. I'm more interested in like your ability to just like um, be consistent and handle adversity and challenges than to get into the zone or get into flow or something like that. But that's kind of what's happening. Right. And so when we think about, you know, just perform or people will say things like, oh, don't think, just do it. What they're mm -hmm. really saying is stop using your conscious mind so much and rely more on your subconscious. Well, your subconscious is largely based on what you've trained, what your historical kind of mindset is, right? And approach to things. And so this is why the mental training has to have lots of consistency to it, just like repetitions and every other skill and thing we do, right? You have to run so many miles to get better at running, right? You know, you can't just go run five minutes and then go run a marathon, right? Well, you can't just meditate for five minutes and then expect okay i'm just going to be better mentally or i can't just oh do work on this self-talk exercise for 10 minutes here and then i'm going to be good right like <laughs> or i'll just visualize you know the night before my race like and i'll be good it's like no this is a skill you have to practice it get lots of repetitions 
because you're working to try to go from a conscious way of thinking to more of a subconscious way of thinking so that you can have more mental capacity freed up to address what comes at you when the race gets hard. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's good research on this as well, kind of thing, mental fatigue and stuff like that. And when we're very active in our conscious mind and kind of thinking about pace and heart rate and all those kind of things, we're fatiguing ourselves mentally as well as physically. And then we actually get fatigued physically quicker because of that. And our brain starts to perceive that we're tired quicker. And so it tells us to slow down quicker, right? right. So to that point of kind of like zoning out or whatever you want to call it, there's some benefit to that because it lowers my mental energy that I'm expending while I'm also expending this physiological energy at the same time. Right. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation and I'm sure from this, uh, people are going to be interested in knowing more, whether they can connect with you and uh, will you be open for a session? Will you be open to speak with them, et cetera? If that is the case, how should they approach and who are the kind of athletes that should reach out to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have my, my business. It's, it's like I said at the beginning, uh, I'm, a, I'm a full-time professor and then a sort of a business as a side sort of thing for fun and, and being able to uh, get some applied practice to go with my teaching and, and my research and stuff that I do through that role. Um, so yeah, so I have my business is called, uh, Arit performance and, um, I, mm -hmm. again, I can get you the, the website information links for that. Um, it's, uh, just drzuliger.com, which is my last name. Um, and then, you know, from there, it, it, my email and contact information are on there. So it's a way to reach out. And, um, you know, if it's something where somebody might be interested in, in doing an initial session or doing some mental training. Um, I do have some space depending on the, the timing for that. Um, but I don't, like I said, it's not a full-time thing, so I don't have a, a ton of space. It, it could be anybody from somebody trying to run their first race to, you know, um, a pro level, you know, Olympic level, world-class level athletes. I've worked with people on both, both ends of that spectrum. And then, you know, from an age and, and level standpoint, I've worked with youth, youth athletes, um, up to, um, you know, master's level and, and older, um, athletes kind of thing. And so I think, uh, it's really applicable to anybody and it's, you can't start too young really, in my opinion, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and you can't start too late really either kind of thing. And I think it's something where, regardless of where you're at, we're working on building and, and it's not a, there's something wrong with you and we're trying to fix it kind of thing. It's saying, Hey, you know, this is where you're at and let's work on building from there and trying to improve kind of thing. Um, so my website's a good place to do that. I am on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all those um, fun things as well. Um, and I'm not uh, an influencer by any means or anything like that, but I, I do post things on there that I think are helpful um, and, and more educational in nature kind of thing. And, and again, I really try to also elevate and share a lot of my colleagues and other people out there and, and different athletes like Dina's example, you know, book, for example, like anytime I see athletes out there and just whether that's professional or recreational talking about mental training or talking about how they're working on it or their thought processes on how they handle injury or how they handle preparing for runs or the buildup for a marathon or, you know, tapering for a marathon or whatever it is. I try to share that stuff, um, as much as I can. Um, and so those are the, those are examples of earlier where you're kind of saying, looking for those resources, you know, um, I might not necessarily post a ton of stuff myself cause I'm busy or whatever it is, but I try to share and reshare, repost a lot of good information from other people, whether it's other researchers, applied professionals um, or athletes and coaches and stuff like that to get more of this information out there. Cause that's really my goal is to, is to change the way that uh, people experience sports. So they have better experiences in and around sport. And then yeah. um, part of that is making sports psychology mainstream, right? So that more people yeah. know about it, know what it is um, so that they can work on these kind of things. Yeah. No, thank you very much. And yeah. uh, uh, the information that you provided about being able to reach out to you will also put a show notes so that it's easy for our listeners to figure out. Um, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great contribution to be honest to uh, to the to the athletes 
and and for almost everybody in general um, to take cognizance of uh, mental fitness health and just being self aware of who they are and uh, and you approaching it using science uh, is a is is of great value and and so i'm very thankful that you accepted to join us today and um, i'm sure this is going to be of great great value to all of our listeners thank you so much for being here yeah well thank you for having me i, I enjoyed the conversation and uh yeah hopefully um there's some things in there that people can can take away and 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 use without having to uh go too far and into too much effort it's something where just just starting just like anything else sometimes just getting out the door and going for that first run is all it takes kind of thing and um, I think being open to trying and working on this kind of stuff as well similar to that is the same kind of thing it just takes a getting started yeah no, it could be hard in the start but it is worth it for sure thank you so much and mm-hmm. and thanks again for being here today that was all i hope you enjoyed it i enjoyed too if you are liking what my team and i put together please go and give a review we would love a five star if not you can tell us what we can work on to meet your expectation good luck for now keep running and i will speak with you guys in one week from now goodbye